welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. In this episode, I talk with Vilissa Thompson, founder and leader of Ramp Your Voice, a self-advocacy and empowerment movement for people with disabilities. We discuss Vilissa's work to educate social workers, educators, and medical professionals about being helpful rather than harmful to disabled people, especially disabled women of color. Vilissa explains how the intersection of racism and ableism negatively impacts this population, and she shares steps that people can take to educate themselves to be allies and advocates for change. She also shares about creating the hashtag disability to white in the black disabled woman syllabus. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Vilissa. Thank you so much for coming on, doing the work. I'm really excited to have you on here. I know you're incredibly busy, so thank you for your time. And just to thank get things... Thank you for writing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're quite a presence in social media, online, you know, with all the work you're doing. And um, I'm really excited to hear about it. So you, could you just kind of start out with letting us know what you're up to? Right. Well, I am a Microsoft worker. I've been a Microsoft worker for about six years now. And I founded a blog, an organization called Ref Your Voice five years ago in 2013 that allows me to talk about disability from an intersectional lens and also combine that with my social work background. So it's been my way of sharing my experiences as a Black disabled woman and combining the two worlds to where I educate social workers about the disabled experience from a more intersectional, progressive, updated lens than what we usually learn about it from our programs and field placements, as well as talk about disability issues that matter to me or what I see that's going on in the disabled community that be a broader society may not be so abreast of. So that's been the activism work that I do along with doing presentations, public speaking, uh, being interviewed by great people like yourself, and just really doing what I can to um, spread the message that matters to me and empower people that look like me. And how did this start for you? You know, I'm sure it was a mix of personal experience and then, Mm -hmm. you know, becoming a social worker as well. Could you kind of talk about how, how you got into this? Yes, um, I started blogging as a blogger after I graduated from my program with my MSW in 2012. And that was when I started to write about social work and disability, such as different political issues, and um, really bringing some of the disparities that we see when it comes to education and healthcare um, to our profession. And I decided to branch out um, from that and really do something that's more personal for me to really have that type of lens that matters. So that's kind of how I really got started, just to writing and really seeing a gap there, particularly when it comes to disability, to where there wasn't a grand number of disabled people of color blogging or sharing the stories at the time or really getting the attention on uh, social media or through blogging. So that was very important to me. And also the you know, flip side of that is really introducing social workers and a profession to an aspect of the disabled experience that is missing from our program. So it was kind of a you know, a win-win for me in a way to really do something that I'm passionate about and really targeting two groups that I feel that could learn a lot from each other that are not really listening to each other for whatever different reasons um, and really uh, bridging that gap that I saw that was needed. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit 
about more about what you just said in terms of not listening to each other and also just some of the unique challenges for people of color with disabilities, you know, in particular, um, black women. I know you focus a lot on, uh, on black women. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that with it comes to social work, our language, our understanding is very outdated. We focus on the medical model of disability, which centers on a person diagnosis and not so much on the medical model, which is typically preferred within the community that has a more holistic link. So I really feel that, you know, for me, and I know that other disabled social workers, particularly those of color, really want the profession to really update its knowledge of when it comes to just how we look at disability, how we talk about disability. Um, we tend to teach person first language, which says a person with disability, when, when the actual community prefers identity first language, which says a disabled person, a disabled woman, a disabled woman of color, or a black disabled woman, where we know that we're humans, we know that we're people, so that doesn't really need to be emphasized. But the identity that we have, to many of us, is more important. And I think that's the problem with social work, is that not seeing it as a valid culture and identity as other marginalized groups. So that was really something that I really saw that we were very behind on as a profession. And really want to do what I can to really get us um, information, you know, as um, Beyonce would say, get information in a way and really ensuring that we are able to advocate and work alongside the disabled community as allies and co-conspirators because, you know, we do, you know, go into this community and provide resources and supports. And I know from a personal standpoint, as well as professionally, that the disabled community does not have a favorable opinion of social workers due to some of the ableism, ableism and the social prejudice of disabled people that they have encountered from social work. So I know that there's a very tremendous gap that needs to be filled and that gap is educational so that we do not be agents of harm and instead be agents of change. So I really see that, um, you know, those communities not really coming together due to some of the um, harm that has been done on to the disabled community when it comes to social workers and not really knowing how to get social workers to understand disability from the way in which we want the profession to do so. So I really feel like for me, I need to kind of be a, um, a um, bridge, a bridger in a way to really come to colleagues, particularly since I can navigate this particular space and do what I can to ensure that we are able to be, you know, true agents of healing, empowerment, affirmation. We're culturally competent in what disabled people want us to know and in the support of services and work that we do. So I really feel that social workers cannot get it wrong when it comes to working with the largest minority group in the United States and abroad. I think there's a lot that we need to learn and really listen to disabled people. And, you know, that really stems from the values and the principles and the ethics that we have, you know, as a profession. So that's really what really matters to me in this type of work and getting those two communities to really see each other, listen to each other and heal through some of that healing and amending some of the wrongs that have been done to disabled people by the profession and allowing disabled people to really be more confident and to really voice what they want social workers to know about them, the type of care that they need when it comes to um, hospitalization, when it comes to being able to stay in one's community and not be placed in a nursing home or institution, and all those things that really matter. And when it comes to kind of breaking it down with the disabled community, um, one thing that I do with social workers is talk about those marginalized identities within disabilities, such as disabled people of color, particularly black disabled women and families, and talking about the disparities 
that uh, disabled people of color endure, such as student prison pipeline, how disabled students of color, particularly black students, are disproportionately impacted by that. Or when it comes to police brutality, how disabled people make up over 50% of the police brutality incidences, and that large percentage is of, is made up of people of color. So just really getting so reference to look at the big issues that we all know about and then narrow it down to how different segments of the disabled community are impacted and why, if they're doing a particular work within their field, why they need to be educated and be attentive to that so that they can reach out to those members of the community that are grossly um, impacted by it and what they can do to work alongside those community leaders and those activists and advocates who are on the ground doing the work and they can kind of come together and really create the change that's needed. When you're connecting with the social work community and also maybe not, you know, not just social workers, but educators, because mm-hmm. like you were just saying, a lot of a lot of the discrimination, even though it might not be meant that way, that often doesn't matter because it's what right. it's the action that happens, right? Right. It's right. happening in schools and it's often setting up young people for a lifetime of of additional struggle. Mm-hmm. When you're speaking to these groups, you know, how what's the response like? In terms of what you're, you know, are they receptive? How's, how does that conversation go? Well, I think that when many people come to my workshops that I present at social work uh, conferences, um, I'm in South Carolina, so I presented you know, a few times at um, NASW chapter in South Carolina and um, the South Carolina campaign to prevent too many pregnancy. Um, they have a summer institute that they do every year. And if it comes to my area, I speak at that as well. So I get to talk to social workers, medical professionals, and teachers. And I really feel that it's so important because I think that, like I said, each of these groups have a general understanding, but their understanding is usually outdated when it comes to teachers, particularly, I love I love our teachers, but the curriculum that they're taught, particularly when it comes to special education, is considered to be and is a racist and ableist institution. And some of the teachings and the practices within special ed and the broader education system disproportionately disadvantages disabled students of color. And we do see a lot of these with the prison pipeline, the graduation rates of disabled students of color, the participation rates of students of color with disabilities being grossly lower than their white disabled kind. So I really get them to see how a general issue that they normally, they have a normally normalized understanding of and really breaking that down further and really seeing how a particular population within that group is being harmed is, is key to my educational um, demeanor to them. So they're really receptive to that. And I think a lot of people that come to my workshop are really looking to learn more so that, so that they can learn how to be better teachers or even medical professionals. I have a presentation that I do about the sexuality of disabled females. I talk about how disabled women are disproportionately harm when it comes to domestic violence situation or sexually um, violated. So really understanding that if you are a medical professional, pay attention to your disabled clients and ask them questions and being culturally confident in making sure that how you ask questions, the materials that you provide them about their sexual health, their um, sexuality, you know, is appropriate for their um, level of understanding to their disability types, to what they're looking for and not assume that a disabled person um, is um, undesirable or non-sexual because of the disability. So really checking one's own misconceptions about disability when it comes to sexuality, comes to body autonomy, 
is very important. So that's kind of what I do when it comes to medical, medical professionals, really getting them to see, is your practice, is, which, is your clinic, is your hospital, uh, is your doctor's office, is it accepting of disabled clients? Do disabled clients feel comfortable? Do you know how to engage with disabled clients of different disability types? Do you know how to relate to them? So really getting them to really dig deep into how they interact with clients and whether or not those interactions are healthy, whether they're empowering, whether they're affirmative, or are they damaging and they do doing harm? And then bringing it back to social workers. Um, I know that an issue that I talked about with the class a couple of weeks ago was about uh, disabled parenting and how social workers are used to take away a disabled parent's rights simply because they're disabled, not because of any reports of abuse, not because of um, any type of allegation, but simply because they're disabled. And how we need to be aware of how systemic ableism, you know, is being used to harm disabled parents and how we are being used to implement that type of ableism in that particular setting if you are within childcare um, service or you do DSS, CPS work. So really being conscious of how systems um, disadvantage people and how you as a social worker or educator or uh, medical professional, how those systems can manipulate your role to be that agent of harm instead of an agent of change. So really getting them to really think more critically about the roles they play in the community and those that they um, serve in the community and to be more conscious of being able to speak up on if they're realizing that, you know, you're at a hospital and a disabled parent gives birth, you're always called to check in on that case. You know, really ask the question, why are you calling me to check in on this parent when the child is fine, when there's no allegations of abuse or no suspicions? You know, is this a founded reason or is this part of able? So really assessing our roles that we play as professionals and the unintentional or intentional harm that may come about that if we're not aware of certain things, particularly systemic um, barriers that really impact quality of services, um, the access of services. And if people want to acquire services due to a probably um, past experiences with social workers, teacher educators, um, with uh, medical professionals, with law enforcement, et cetera, those past experiences really impact if somebody is comfortable or willing to go to you for support or is quote unquote compliant, as we like to say, when it comes to that care. So really just um, bringing some of those issues to their forefront and really get them that critically is something that I think people take away from my presentations or the talks that I give so that they can be better practitioners and allies of of co-conspirators to disabled people. I I think it's great. And I think it's, you know, I was, as you're talking, I was thinking about a student that I had a a couple years ago who did an internship at a program here specifically with the disabled community. And he came back and said, um, you know, why isn't there a class, you know, just about this, you know, there's, cause he learned so much just at that placement mm-hmm. that was totally outside of anything in the classroom, which often happens at internships. But I think right. with this population, maybe even more so. And, and as you're talking, it's just, I'm thinking more and more how it's just such a invisible group. It's just right. It, even within education, even within social work education. Oh, yes, because I remember, you know, in my social program, and I just got my degree within this decade, so it wasn't too far back. You know, we spent you know, very little time talking about disability. And now that I look at it, what was taught, like I said, was kind of that outdated, outdated um, understanding. So I really think that 
the you know what your what the student emphasizes is very important that we do need to understand disabled people better because you know our profession comes into contact with them just as much as teachers and other professional like medical professionals things of that nature. So it really astounds me how the professional groups that interact with disabled people on a very intimate level in some cases are the ones who are grossly ignorant about the population as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of work that needs to be done and and you're spearheading a lot of this work. You know, you uh you created Ramp Your Voice and there's a lot of resources on that website and we'll link to it in the show notes so people can go there. Um, you also created a black disabled woman syllabus, mm-hmm. which is linked on that website. Could you talk a little bit about that syllabus and, and the work you've done around that? Yes, um, that came out of the frustration of being challenged with my particular intersectional lens by certain uh, people within the disabled community, particularly um, white disabled folks, about why talk about race and why talk about black people and just and center that. And I really feel that some of that, well, some of it is racism, but also some of it is laziness and not wanting to do the educational uh, front of learning about different identities, different struggles within the same group. So that kind of, that was bred out of this frustration and wanting people to stop asking me, you know, to give them that one-on-one education when it's easily found. So that. Um, the syllabus is just based on a compilation of um, books, videos, um, essays, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, about the Black, sometimes just generally the Black experience, and then narrow it down to Black disabled experience and narrow it down further to the Black disabled uh, woman or femi um, experience. So that's been my way of providing a resource for people who may not be the most well-versed about Blackness and identity in general, and then, you know, uh, making it more specific to Black disabled identity. So that's really, you know, the purpose of it. And it's been well-received. It's been used uh, within academia. they featured, you know, in different um, listics on uh, BuzzFeed. So it's really, in the two years of its creation, has really become a vital source uh, so that people can educate themselves on Black identity. But also, I uh, know that um, Black disabled people themselves have been using the resource to educate themselves about the different literature uh, and bodies of work that have been created about their particular identity. So that's been very empowering to see other Black disabled people to really be empowered within themselves to learn about their history because that's one of the um, frustrations of disability history is how whitewash and the erasure of disabled people of color uh, when it comes to our history. So I really feel that it helps to bridge that gap in ensuring that a segment of a population when it comes to the historical uh, content of it is not lost so that um, current and future activists and, and advocates can have something to where they can feel empowered and to really see themselves when um, the overall spectrum of disability history may not include them. I think it's incredibly powerful. I really do. And I, I hear what you're saying about, uh, when you're part of a group and then you read something about some from someone else in that group and it's kind of like inspiring. It's like, wait, maybe I could do this or I didn't know about this history. Right. Right. And I know I do that all the time when I you know read about other racial groups or just other identities, you know, because it's so important for us to always be students of life and to really hold ourselves accountable so that 
we are educated on different identities, experiences that are that are outside of our own, and also so that we don't do that unintentional harm that can come from being ignorant about those experiences. So for me, it's a win-win. Like you know, you get educated and you learn how to become a better um, social worker, ally, focus theater, or just a better person in, in your worldview of the overall human experience. Vilissa, what led you to social work? You know, you kind of shared how you got into, you know, doing Ramp Your Voice, but you kind of started that story as when you were a student, you know, in, in, but what got you to social work? Well, I majored in psychology at undergrad, and I was trying to figure out exactly what would be a better career path. You know, would it be better to go to social um, psychology route or social work route? So I chose to be a social worker because I thought at the time I wanted to be a clinician. I wasn't very aware of macro support, which I became aware of in my program, and that's what I fell in love with. So my initial draw to social work was the um, attraction to being a therapist. And I still want to be a therapist in some capacity, but more aligned uh, with my interest in sex therapy. Um, and wanted to be a sex educator because I really am passionate about reproductive justice when it comes to black disabled women and feminists. So I really feel that for me, um, hopefully within this, um, probably the next five years um, in my career, I hope to be a sex educator and then a sex therapist so that I can bridge that gap within that realm as well. Um, since I know there are social workers who are sex therapists and do sex therapy. And I really feel that we you know, need more um, clinicians in that area that work with marginalized or multiple marginalized groups because from what I've been gathering through talking to um, black women who are sex therapists, some of them are social workers, some of them are not, um, that um, sex therapy space is very white and very able-bodied or not disabled. So I really feel like for me, that's another way of filling the gap that I'm seeing and learning about and really ensuring that when it comes to the therapeutic healing of disabled people, particularly those of color, you know, there there are people that actually look like them that's doing the work and have that personal knowledge and not just have read something within a textbook. So um, for me, I feel that being a social worker is my way of seeing the gaps and figuring out ways to ameliorate them or uh, extinguish them altogether. I think that's kind of been my purpose, you know, as a social worker in the six years I've been doing it professionally. And it's, you know, it wasn't something that I thought about when I first um, got into my program in 2010, but I'm very um, proud of the fact that it has evolved in this way of making change and influencing the profession and those outside of the profession so that it can become, you know, what I know that it can, and I can be a part of that um, leading the way. And could you talk a little bit about disability too white? Mm -hmm. Seems like a good time to talk about that. <laughs> Well, yes. Well, it kind of goes back a little bit into what I was saying about the syllabus and the erasure of disabled people of color within the disabled spaces. And it came out from an ExoJ article that a friend of mine, Alice Wall, shared on Twitter about disabled women and beauty. And it featured the faces and voices of disabled white women. And when we talk about body autonomy, body positively, even sexuality, desirability, all those things, it is typically white voices, typically usually white male voices and then white female voices, and then sparsely everybody else. So when that conversation was 
coming up about that particular article and how it's yet another article that does not include color or do not um, include the same people of color in that type of discussion. That's kind of where the hashtag came up and it went viral within the first 24 hours. And it really allowed the same people of color the space to really talk about the issues within the disabled community and also outside of the disabled community when it comes to representation, when it comes to visibility and whose disabled stories matter um, to society, to the media. So I really feel that it has really gave a voice to a topic that we have all kind of whisper about or felt frustration about. But I think the phrasing of it, disability to white, helped to synthesize all of that into something that's easily digestible and people can really attach to and can just run with it when it comes to the discussions that are needed. And also, in many ways, pulling out the racism that is within the disability um, and pulling out the problematic leadership, problematic um, with leadership, um, the fear of talking about race and how that can derail the movement when we look at other aspects outside disability, which is, you know, erroneous way of thinking. But just kind of bringing up all of those issues that I really don't think that people um, were able to do publicly so strongly before. So I really feel that the hashtag has really forced open the door of conversation that is needed to really get our community to where it needs to be so that it is inclusive and accepting and welcoming and not this um, breeding ground of problematic nature that excludes and harms a certain group of people. You know, you've been sharing about a lot about racism in the disabled community. Mm -hmm. And I'm also thinking about another community that you're a part of, the Black community, Mm -hmm. and disability within the Black community. Mm -hmm. And if you would feel comfortable talking a little bit about that. Oh, yes. Um, I recently did an article about Queen Sugar, which is a show on um, OWN. And it's directed by Ava DuVernay. And it has a character on there that's affectionately known as Aunt Vi. And she has a um, illness within the current season of Queen Sugar. And there was someone who made a comment about, we want Aunt Vi to be whole and, you know, we don't want her to be sick. Can you reverse, you know, her illness? And Ava gave an incredible answer to that, saying that, you know, illness is a part of life. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with Aunt Vi being ill. And that really sparked um, something within me and how, you know, the Black community look at disability. You know, the Black community is known to be very um, a welcoming community. Um, but also we have some ideas about certain identities with, within the community that are problematic. And when it comes to disability, you know, it's a complicated thing because, um, in my piece, I noted how, you know, Black people and disability and Black civil bodies have been viewed since Black people have been in America. Um, when it comes to slavery and how slave masters um, or slave owners have um, either exploited or abused Black disabled slaves, because we have to think about the system of slavery um, with it being a system of profit, you know, chattel slavery. We have to have produced labor to be considered to have value within that system. And if you have a slave that isn't able to uh, produce value or produce labor, then many slave owners consider them useless. So we have to think about the historical aspect of how Black disabled bodies were treated. We also have to think about the religiosity within the Black community. The Black church is, you know, a very prominent um, entity within the space. 
and how religious teaching no view disability um how religious teachings view disability as something to be healed from to be cured and how if you have disability with physical um mental illness or so on and so forth you need to pray it away or pray very hard for jesus and god to heal you so you know there's a lot of things within our community that are toxic that we don't really recognize as being toxic that really impacts how disabled people view their bodies and that was some of the pieces that i brought up um when it came to that particular example of how we need to see black disabled bodies as whole and how we're not broken because we have an illness or we have a disability we have one um, mental health um diagnosis you know we're not broken people and it really call out some of that ableism that greatly um isolates alienates and um make people within that space lonely you know you have people who tell you that you know they can't handle you or they can't see you quote-unquote suffer or they can't see you quote-unquote struggle then how does that make one feel you know so i really think that within the black community really forcing us to take a hard look at how we unintentionally harm each other at times and also at times it is intentional and the impact of that and really having those harsh conversations because there are people who are literally you know being um harmed by that and not really feel a welcome within the black spaces i know that me and several black advocates say you know we don't really feel welcome within the disabled community and we don't really feel welcome within the black community so where can we feel welcome you know and that's the reality for many of us you know if you know there's parts of each group that we belong to that you know is not loving does not see us in our entirety as humans as disability being a part of the human experience and it's not a defect or it's not an imperfection it's just a way of life and i think that's the main thing that i really want to bring to the black community understand that this is just another aspect of blackness as you know um black womanhood black feminine being a black feminine you know these things all matter to the black experience and you cannot cherry pick what parts of the black experience that you are most comfortable with and just saying that you are at um advocating for the liberation of all black people but you have to be a certain type of black person you know that's not um feasible and it's not rational and most importantly it's not going to be tolerated so i really feel that when it comes to the black community just really calling our community out and really forcing them to be seeing how they too um can be harmful and what they can do to not be harmful and to create a more safer inclusive space for black say people to be in i really appreciate you sharing all that and coming on the podcast as we're kind of getting towards the end here i just wanted to give you the opportunity to you know share any information really with the listeners that you want to get across that we haven't talked about right well um like i said i do writing i do public speaking i now have an agent that represents me um as a speaker so i am available to speak at your organization your school university um uh, facility etc if you want to know about disability from a sectional lens or if you are a person of color uh activist or organization and want to know more about disability um from that lens so that your uh, work can be more inclusive i'm definitely available for that i'm also starting a patreon in july where i can do more intimate type of writings about my personal experiences and just the way that the world um the way that I view the world and how the world views me and that's just my way of expanding my writing and you know and just really you know outside of those two things just really doing what I can to really reach our colleagues 
so that they can, you know, do better. You know, I really think that this is now the time, particularly in the political atmosphere that we are in right now, for us to really step up our call for action as a profession and to really ensure that the work that we're doing in protecting people's rights and advocating for um, for those changes, we are advocating for the right things that will um, definitely improve the quality of life and opportunities and reduce the barriers uh, for those marginalized identities. I'm always um, open to reaching out to people who um, would like to seek me out or seek other ad- activists or advocates out who, you know, who's doing this work and who they want to learn from. So definitely um, reach out to me. I know you'll provide my information in the show notes, but definitely anyone who's interested in um, furthering this conversation or learning more about some of the things that I've touched on, can definitely reach out to me and being willing to work with you as a consultant, as a writer, speaker, presenter, or whatever ways or means that work best for you. Well, thank you again, Vilissa, for coming on the podcast and thank you for doing the work. Well, thank you so much. It's so great to talk to social workers. It's my first social work specific podcast, so I'm really glad to be on yours as my first one. I feel honored that you're that this is your <laughs> first one. <laughs> Thanks it again. Is. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place. Thank you.